beginning a brand new series this morning entitled Supernatural, and um, didn't get to bring the first message at the bridge last night. I won't get to bring it in the second service today, so you're the only ones who get to hear the first message today. Do you feel special? <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, for those of you who have your cameras, you might want to get a picture of this tie. Uh, probably be the last time you see it until next Christmas. Um, I got to tell y'all what Richard Phillips, where's Richard? Where, he, you, ought, you better get back there on the back. He said, Pastor, you look casket sharp. <laughs> he said, you look good enough to get buried today. I said, man. There's only one Richard. Glory to God. Um, the first sermon in this series is called uh, Pathway to Power. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of things in this series. It's going to go all the way through the month of January. One of the messages we'll do in this series will be on fasting. Because fasting ushers in the supernatural. And I know that you don't hear a lot about fasting um, today, and uh, I know there's not a lot of teaching on it. If you're going to get some teaching on it, a lot of times you have to purchase uh, something that was taught at a seminar or something like that. But we're going to talk about it on Sunday, and we're going to talk about it on Saturday night at the bridge. And uh, we're going to talk about the things that hinder the supernatural and hold God back from doing what he wants to do. So we're going to cover a lot of things in this uh, series. So you pray for me. We're going to call again this first message, uh, Pathway to Power, and we're going to take our text from Acts 1, 1 through 9. I got to tell you all one more funny thing before we read from the scriptures. Um, somebody asked me, Did, is this my chair up here? <laughs> it is so not my chair. Let me just tell you all that. And amen. <laughs> I think the one who asked me that is the one who just said amen. Um, we, uh, if you get to stay, I, I know it would be a long stay, uh, but if you get to stay, our kids have got a great, great program. As a matter of fact, uh, they had rehearsal yesterday, and it uh, uh, went very smoothly. Um, I, of course, wasn't here, but I heard good things. And um, my understanding is there are over 100 children in this. Isn't that awesome? So if you get to stay today, we hope you will. We're going to videotape it today, so um, if you don't get to stay, maybe you can get a, a DVD. All righty? Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, all that Jesus, everybody say began, began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. I'm getting just a little bit of feedback up here on the monitors, guys. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, let's just stop right there, okay? This is um, that event after the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus uh, died on the cross, was buried and resurrected, he 
was on the earth 40 days after his resurrection from the grave. And this is telling us about that. And um, he is saying that, uh, uh, that uh, the Lord began to do some things until he was taken away. And uh, we all know about the ascension of Jesus. He ascended into heaven. And then it says uh, he had gave commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. And to those he presented himself alive after his suffering. Uh, notice verse 3. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. That's very important right there. It's very important to know these things from the Word of God. So the Word of God says about the resurrection of Jesus, because there's much controversy. I mean, there's no controversy here at Whitley about it, but there's controversy in the world about the resurrection of Jesus. But we believe that the Bible is true. And so the Bible speaks very clearly and says that after his resurrection, he was shown to be alive by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God during that 40 days. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, his followers, and what are we? We are his followers. So this word is to us today. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me just say something to you. We believe every bit of that is literally true. We do not believe that uh, any of that is figurative or uh, symbolic. We believe that what I just read to you is the absolute truth. And Jesus spoke those words, and we're going to study those words and look at them very closely. As a matter of fact, today I'm going to start with verse 1 of this passage, and we're not even going to finish verse 1. How about that? All right? And so we're going to really look at it. But Jesus gave forth his final words and then ascended into heaven. Just rose up. I don't know. It says in the clouds. I, I I don't know exactly what all that looked like, but he just, he just ascended right on into heaven and disappeared from their sight. I heard a story that Billy Graham was supposed to come to this, um, supposed to come to this town and do a crusade. 
And uh, one of the preachers in the town heard that Billy Graham was coming, and he was a, a liberal um, preacher. He had a, a liberal perspective of Scripture. And, and let me just explain that very quickly. We believe the Bible here at Whitley Church, from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation. And, and you can call us old-fashioned, or you can call us backward, or you can call us unlearned, or whatever you want to call us. It really doesn't make any difference to us. We believe the Bible. Amen? And uh, I believe that, uh, I believe the whale swallowed Jonah, or a great fish swallowed Jonah. And I got news for you, if the Bible said Jonah swallowed a great fish, I'd believe that too. I'm like the fellow who said, I believe every word of the Bible. I even believe on the outside where it says genuine leather. Uh, we believe the whole thing here at Whitley Church. We believe all the Bible. And so uh, we just want you to know where we stand on that. And we're not mean about it. We're, we're sweet about it, but we've taken a stand there. And, and, and what the world is fussing about and fuming about and debating about, we settled a bunch of that stuff around here a long time ago. Amen. And so uh, this liberal preacher who thought maybe parts of the Word of God were the Word of God, but other parts of the Bible were maybe just fables or stories. He, he took a, a much more uh, worldly perspective of the Bible. He said, we can't have Billy Graham come to our town. He'll set evangelism back 50 years. And somebody told uh, him, one of the reporters was questioning Billy Graham and told Billy Graham what this man said and what this preacher in town had said, this pastor and Billy Graham said, oh my. He said, I didn't want to set evangelism back 50 years. I wanted to set it back 2,000 years. I like that answer, don't you? And, and that's what this message is about. That's what this series is about. It's about getting back to the basics. It's about looking back to those roots of our faith and, and, and being reminded of who we are and why we're who we are. So we're going to look at that this week. They tell me that Vince Lombardi, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, he, uh, I, I heard, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard he didn't like to lose a football game. And uh, the Green Bay Packers lost a game, and it was a game they should uh, not have lost. They certainly didn't want to lose, and they didn't think they should have lost, but they lost the game because of some foolish mistakes. And Lombardi said very few words to them when they got back on the bus to go to the airport. And when they got on the airplane, he said very little to them, and he was very quiet, and they knew it was coming, boy, because he was tough. And the next day at practice, when they assembled on the field, he reached into a canvas bag. He had all the team assembled around him. He reached into that bag and pulled out a football. And he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And what he was saying to them was, we're going back to the fundamentals. We're going back to the basics. We're not going to talk about all the mistakes we made yesterday. We're just going to go back and learn again and be reminded of how the game of football is played. He saw a need to get back to the basics. And i got to tell you, in our day, I see a need to get back to the basics in church, don't you? I think sometimes we can run little rabbits, you know, and we can chase after fads and all of that. And I think God just pulls us back sometimes and reminds us of the basics. That's what this series will be about. The book of Acts is a story of great success. The book of Acts is a story of great success. The book of Acts is the story of a triumphant church. 
We are a part of that church. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Acts, and I would challenge you to do that. It's a very exciting book. And I would challenge you to do that maybe in a, in a translation that reads like a novel. It's very exciting. Maybe the New Living Translation and have your other uh, uh, Bibles there around you. But uh, the book of Acts is a triumphant church, and we're a part of that church. And when you get to the end of the book of Acts, if you read it, it really doesn't end. It's like it's just telling a story, and then all of a sudden, it just it doesn't say, sayonara, see you later, that's it. It doesn't say, bidee, 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 that's all fun. It doesn't say any of that. It, it just, it's like you're in the middle of a story, and it just um, looks like, well, where's the next page? You know, Well, here's the deal. The book of Acts, in a sense, hasn't ended. The book of Acts is still going on. We are a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ right here this morning that was born on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. Really, if you think about this early church, it was a small group of unlettered uncultured people with meager resources, very little money, no prestige, no pedigree, no colleges, no seminaries, no radio, no television, no printing press, and no beautiful, magnificent buildings like we enjoy right here every Sunday. The book of Acts is about a small group of people who just went out telling the story of a publicly executed Jew. They went out against great obstacles such as the imperial might of Rome. These people that I just described to you went against the intellectual sophistication of Greece. They faced the religious bigotry that permeated all of society in that day and yet. That little group of unlettered, uncultured, unknown people turned their world inside out and upside down for the cause of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what is the good news of Jesus Christ? That God came to the earth and took on flesh. God came to the earth and took on flesh and God went to the cross in the body of his son Jesus and died for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead. And because he did that, you and I have hope of heaven. If we come to him, if we repent of our sins and receive him as our personal savior, we have hope of heaven. You know, when I think about that young infant church, I think about how they did so much with so little. And how today sometimes it seems we do so little with so much. I believe it will benefit us in this study and in this series. I believe it will benefit us greatly if we go back to the book of Acts and study what they did and how they did it. The book of Acts is a story of a church on fire. A church on fire with evangelism. And if a church is on fire with evangelism and reaching out to the lost, then it is a church also that is growing very rapidly. As a matter of fact, it talks about in the book of Acts the additions to the church, and then it begins to talk about multiplication of the church. And I believe that God meant for this early church to become a pattern 
for us today in our church life. I'm going to speak to you for the next few weeks about how this early church in the book of Acts serves as an example to us on how to get plugged in to the supernatural. To begin the series, as I've already said, I want to talk about a pathway to power. So let's read that first verse again, Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The former account I made. Now this is the author of the book of Acts talking. He's referring to himself. He says, the former account I made, O Theophilus. Let me just tell you that from C.M. Carr's notes in the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, I found these notes. It says, it has been suggested that Theophilus is merely a generic term for all Christians. But the epithet, most excellent, which is in that letter O, Theophilus, implies that it was applied by Luke to a definite person, that Theophilus was a definite person, probably a Roman official whom he held, whom Luke held, in high regard and high respect. So I don't know if that was important to you, but, but uh, I think the Bible doesn't do anything by happenstance. I think it's there for a reason. So I wanted you to know who Theophilus probably was. But let's read it now without that interruption. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, what is the former account? Now, I just told you that Luke wrote the book of Acts. Uh, Luke is the writer. So the former account of Luke would be the book of what? Luke. So he's talking about the book of Luke here. And when he talks about the book of Luke, what is he talking about? He is talking about the life of Christ. As a matter of fact, the most famous Christmas story is found in Luke chapter 2. That's the one we read. That's the one that's most detailed and most beautiful. And so Luke gives his account of the life of Christ. And I've had people who are investigating Jesus and investigating the Word of God and investigating the claims of Jesus. They haven't received Christ yet. Or maybe they're very young in the Lord. They'll ask questions like, why do we need four Different men to tell us the same story. And I can understand that question. But as you grow and mature in the Lord, and as you grow and mature in your understanding of the Bible, you'll realize that each man wrote about Jesus from a totally different perspective. And every one of those books, what do we call them? The four Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them are essential. Every one of them are very, very important. So uh, Luke is saying here that the former account, the book of Luke, which is that third book in the New Testament, he said, I wrote that book. And he says, the reason I wrote that book is because I wanted to show you what Jesus began. What he began. Now, Luke was a medical doctor. I don't know how many of y'all know that or realize that. Uh, but Luke was a medical doctor. And what a blessing it is to see a medical doctor who loves Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Now, it's good to see anybody who loves Jesus. But I'm just especially blessed when I see somebody like a doctor, a medical doctor who loves Jesus. And I am delighted to say this morning that sitting in our audience today, we have medical doctors right here uh, at Whitley Church. And, and I'm very thankful for that. And, and one of the reasons that I am is that, that when I see doctors, and I, because you know, I don't know whether y'all know it or not, but you got to be smart to be a doctor. I don't know if y'all knew that. 
But you, and they, you have to go to school a long time. And, and, and then you have to, you have to uh, work under someone and you're mentored and, and, and you do all that. I don't even know all they go through to, to get to a place where they open the doors of their office for you to come in and uh, for your needs to be met by their skill and by their knowledge. But when I see a doctor who loves Jesus, that tells me that when you get saved, when you give your heart to Jesus, you don't have to check your brains in at the door, do you? Amen? Amen. And so we thank God for the doctors we have. And I thank God for Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke was a great physician. As a matter of fact, he was Paul's personal physician and followed Paul around in much of his ministry. And he was also a noted historian because he had written these two books of the Bible. So he says the former account, and in the King James it says the treaty, the former treaty or treatise was the gospel of Luke, Luke's account of the life of Christ. He said then, he said now I'm writing the book of Acts. And he said the reason I'm writing the book of Acts is because I want to tell you not what Jesus has done, but I want to tell you what Jesus continues to do. See, Jesus didn't stop working and ministering and doing great things when he ascended into heaven. That's what I'm here to tell you this morning. He said, I want you to understand, uh, I want you to see what the church did in the primitive years, what Jesus did through the church. He said, I want to teach by, by writing the book of Acts, I'm teaching you the pattern that we are to live by even today as individual believers and as the mystical body of Christ, the church. Listen, listen. The ecclesia, that is the Greek word. How many of you know what that means? What does it mean? Called out ones. We are the called out ones. And God has called us out to do a great work. So it's my prayer that in this series called Pathway to Power, um, in this message called Pathway to Power that I'll preach over the next two or three Sundays that we're going to discover and that the Holy Spirit will indelibly impress on your heart and mind three basic truths out of verse, the verses that uh, I have read to you today. Um, these three principles, I believe that if we will adopt them, and I, I said we, not, not you, but all of us, because I am you, when we adopt these, it will help us live victoriously. Don't raise your hand, but is anybody here interested in living more victoriously? I am. And it will also help us to have power with God and power with men. Now, when I say with men, I'm not talking about a, a pride deal there. I'm talking about power in the sense of influence for God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, it is, it is the touch of God that makes you to have power with men. And so, uh, listen carefully to what the Lord might say to us. What's the first truth we want to talk about today? And it's right there in your notes. I've got the sermon notes there if you want to fill in the little blanks and kind of help you know when I'm coming in for a landing. To get on this pathway to power, we need to recognize the presence of Jesus in our life. We need to recognize the presence of Jesus in our life. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, big whoop. I mean, I knew that. I mean, what is the big deal about that? That is so simple. What's so earth-shaking about that? Of course, we need to recognize the presence of Jesus in our life. But listen carefully to me this morning. 
In reality, if God will enable me, if God will help me as your pastor to teach this the way it should be taught, you're going to realize that this simple statement of learning to recognize the presence of Jesus in your life will become one of the most vital, dynamic, electrifying, earth-shaking thoughts that I could ever give you, that you could ever learn, that you could ever live by as a Christian. Let's notice that verse one more time. The former account I made... In other words, what Luke could be saying right there is the, that first book I wrote <laughs> called, the, called the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, what I was doing in that first book was telling you about what Jesus began. That is a key word in that verse, both to do and teach. The idea here in verse 1, because you see, you want to kind of read verse 1 and just go, okay, whatever, and move on. But see, listen, listen. Every verse in the Bible is rich with meaning. Every verse. How many of you have ever turned over to the Chronicles and read any of the Chronicles over there in the lineage, those long chapters of lineage, where it says so-and-so begat so-and-so and he died and so-and-so begat so-and-so. You, you read that? Well, I heard about this lady who had become a Christian and she wanted her husband to become a Christian and she didn't want to put a lot of pressure on him. And, and so um, she would just say a little something once in a while, hoping he would start going to church, hoping he would come to know Jesus the way she had come to know Jesus. And so she was reading through her Bible and she was in that part of, of so-and-so begat so-and-so and he died and so-and-so begat so-and-so and he died. And she turned her Bible upside down on the little table by her, by her chair and she went to church. When she got back to church, she walked in and her husband had the Bible open, sitting there reading and tears were running down his face. And she said, honey, what in the world has happened? I go to church for an hour, hour and a half. I come back, you're sitting here with the Bible weeping. He said, I got saved while you were gone. And I asked Jesus into my life. And she just had a wonderful time of rejoicing and hugging on him. And they just had a great time. She said, please tell me though. How in the world did that passage cause you to get saved? He said, well, I got to reading and it said, so-and-so begat so-and-so and he died. And so-and-so begat so-and-so and he died and he died and he died. He said, it don't know me, I was going to die. <laughs> so he said, I knew I needed Jesus. Listen, the word of God is rich. The word of God is alive. The word of God is true. Do not underestimate the power, the living power of the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. And the people said, amen, amen, amen. Thank God for his word. So the idea in verse 1 that we would want to just kind of read and say, well, you know, that's a little introductory verse. I'll move on to the good stuff. i got to tell you, verse 1 is the good stuff. Because the idea here in verse 1 is that Jesus isn't finished. Jesus isn't finished with his miracles. Jesus isn't finished moving in miraculous, powerful, unbelievable, amazing ways. Rather, he is still doing it. He is still teaching. Look what he said. He said both to do and teach. I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus is still doing and he is still teaching. Thank God for that. And you may be thinking, but pastor... The Bible says that he was taken up out of heaven away from us. That's right. But by the Holy Spirit, 
the Lord Jesus acts and works and teaches. You see, in the Gospels, in the Gospels, Jesus was here in a physical body. Now today, and from the book of Acts on, after he ascended, Jesus is here in a mystical body. A mystical body. In most Bibles, on the first page of, of the book of Acts, I don't know what it says in your Bible on that very first page, but in most Bibles, what does it say? The Acts of the Apostles. Is that what yours says? The Acts of, who, whose Bible says the Acts of the Apostles? Well, it's really not that. And I, and I can say that. And you say, oh, that's in the Bible. Yeah, but that, that wasn't put there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That was put there by the publisher of your Bible. Okay? It's important to know what's inspired and what isn't. So it's really not the Acts of the Apostles. And I'm going to burst even another bubble of yours because it's not really even the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit came that we would continue to do the works of Jesus as the mystical body of Christ. Y'all with me this morning? As the mystical body of Christ. We are that body now. And we are to continue what Jesus did in his physical body when he was here on the earth. So here's what Luke is saying. Let me just put it in some words that may be easy to understand. He said, in the gospel of Luke, I showed you all that Jesus started doing on the earth. But in the book of Acts, I'm showing you all that Jesus continues to do on the earth. Today, right now, this December 14th, 2008, Jesus is continuing to work. And can I tell you? That Jesus desires to work through his body and through his church right now, December 14th, 2008, just like he did that day he ascended into heaven and said, I leave with you the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you that you might spread the good news. Here's my point. When I talk about Jesus or realizing the presence of Jesus in your life, it's important that you buy into and believe, and I pray that God will help you understand that the message I'm bringing today is not a Pharaoh Hardison message. It is a message from the Word of God. The point that I make when I'm saying you've got to realize the presence of Jesus in your life is you have to understand and realize for you personally that Jesus is still right now active and alive. He's just in a different body, and if you are a believer he's in your body he's in you this different body of Jesus is sitting right here in this auditorium right now so where is the presence of Jesus in us in us you know I love it when you come and I love it when you attend church and I love it when we all gather together but you know, we use some terminology, and I know God understands, and he, he takes us as we are. But we say, oh, I just hope God comes down in our midst when we gather. We ought to bring him with us. He's in us. We do bring him with us. He manifests when we begin to worship, when we begin to obey, when we begin to do the things that he said. So the presence of Jesus is in us. And knowing that truth, Here's what I'm challenging you to do in this message today. I want you to recognize this truth that Jesus is present. I want you to recognize it for you. 
for you. And the reason I say that is because we often will look at a service, maybe on TV, and we'll say, oh, God is with them. Or we'll come to Whitley and we'll even see another person being touched and we'll say, oh, God is with them. And somehow we've bought into this belief maybe that the woman with the issue of blood bought into when she was sick for 12 long years and healing wouldn't come. Maybe she began to think miracles are for other people but not for me. The power of God is for other people but not for me. I'm here to tell you today that there is no respecter of person in the kingdom of God. And he loves you. God loves you. And the same presence of Jesus that is real, that was real in Paul. And the same presence of Jesus that was real in Luke. And the same presence of Jesus that is real in Billy Graham and other great men of God in our day. I want you to know that same presence of Jesus is in you if you have believed on him and received him as your personal Savior. You are not a second class citizen in the kingdom of God. Hear me today. You are not. Here's the deal. God doesn't want us to do anything for him. I know some of you are going, thank goodness. But I'm about to mess that up. He doesn't want you to do anything for him. He wants to do something through you. He doesn't want you to do anything for him. He wants you to do something. He wants to do something through you. Now I know that's simple, but we forget that sometimes. Look what the Bible says in Colossians 1.27. It, it is Christ in us. It is Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. We sing a praise song. Our praise team leads us in it. And there's a line that says, he's alive and he lives in me. We sing that. And when we sing it, we're rejoicing and we're praising. I tell you, you ought to look real closely at those words when we're singing There's some good theology in that music. You can learn things about God when you sing the songs of praise. He said, it is Christ in us, which is the hope of our glory. When I was a young pastor, teacher, it was a great day when I discovered that God didn't want me to do anything for him. And I still learn that. I still am in the process of learning. I always will be. As a matter of fact, not only did God not want me to do anything for him, I couldn't do anything for him if I tried. I'm still learning this truth every day. And you might be sitting there thinking, now, Pastor, I'm confused. I thought you taught us we're supposed to serve the Lord. Now, I'm using technical language here, so listen carefully. I want you to hear this, and I'm closing. Tell our visitors what that means. Nothing. Okay. The Christian life, get this right now, the Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. The Christian life is not difficult. It's absolutely impossible. I want you to hear me this morning. There's not one person in this auditorium who can live the Christian life. Not one. Nobody you've seen on this platform Nobody you've ever seen in the choir, nobody who's in this great band and singers and praise team that we have, no one has the ability to live the Christian life. I want you to hear me now. Everybody pay attention. There's only one person who ever lived the Christian life and his name was Jesus. Jesus Christ. And while it's true that Jesus is the only one who can live the Christian life, yet at the same time... (laughs) 
We're called on to live the Christian life. So you say, now, man, come on, pastor. You're driving me crazy. On one hand, you tell me it is impossible for me to live the Christian life. On the other hand, you tell me the Bible is full of commands and demands that I live the Christian life. What am I supposed to do? How can I live it? How can I walk it? How can I be a successful Christian and live in obedience to the Scriptures? It isn't you. It's Jesus in you. That's why I have lived many times a very frustrated Christian life. And that's why you at times live a very frustrated Christian life. Because we know we are Christians, but we take it back from God and we try to do it ourselves. And when we try to do it ourselves, there is failure. There is falling, there is stumbling, there is frustration. It is in Him that we live this life. It is in His power. So I call on you this morning to recognize that when you ask Jesus that day to forgive you of your sins, and when you asked Him into your heart, and when you said, Lord, I don't want to go another step without you as my Savior, And he came into your life and you were, to use biblical language, you were born again. You were saved. Those are the very words of Jesus. The very words of Luke when the jailer came to Paul and Silas and fell down at the feet of Paul and Silas and said, what must I do to be saved? When you were saved, when you asked Jesus into your life, Hear me this morning. Jesus took up residence in you. Jesus is present in you. Here's our problem. We think that all he is is a savior that will take us to heaven. That's the way we treat him. He's your joy. He's your your power. He's your strength. He just wants to use your body. Use your lips. Use your Use who you are, who he made you to be. He wants to use that to do his will in the world today. So recognize the presence of Jesus in your life today. Would you stand with me this morning? And would you just walk up here? Can we just walk up here this morning? And and can we just have a closing prayer here around the altar? Our children will be coming in in just a little while, but we've got a few minutes. Would you... Give Jesus just a few more minutes. Just walk right up here. And come in as close as you can so everybody can can get close together. Thank you so much for your cooperation this morning. Let's keep our service sacred now. Can we shut those doors, guys? Can we just shut those doors until the altar service is over? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Would you just bow your head and let's try to stay focused here today. Okay. Where where are you today with Jesus? Where are you in your walk with God today? You say, well, I'm a Christian, Pastor. I've asked Jesus into my life. I, I know that. Maybe you have done that. And that's wonderful. Nothing's more important than that. But can I ask you, and I ask myself that today as well, how how much is he in charge of my life? What, What am I allowing him to do through me?
Am I trying to do it on my own or am I allowing him to work through my life? That's what I want you to ask. I've stumbled in that area of my life even recently. When I've tried to do things in my own power and in my own strength and it just makes a huge mess of things. And I challenge you this morning, let Jesus, let Jesus take over those problems you're trying to solve. Let Jesus take over them. Let Jesus take over uh, the thoughts of your mind and, and let Jesus guide you in his word and, and, and spend time on your knees in prayer and spend time meditating upon his goodness and who he is and that, listen, listen, and that he's present in your life. And ask him from time to time, Lord, what would you do through me? You know, we talk about discovering your life's purpose. I just think once in a while you need to say, God, am I doing your purpose? Am I doing what you put me here to do? And then answer that question honestly. Do you recognize the presence of Jesus in your life today? Let me close with this. Maybe you've not received Jesus today as your Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never invited Jesus into your life. You've thought about what it means and, and you've read things and you've heard things and you've maybe heard Billy Graham. Maybe you even watched his Christmas special on TV last night and, and you know things about Billy Graham and you know things that he said. But see, it isn't enough to know about these things. You must know of him. And the way you know of Jesus is by saying, Lord Jesus, I've tried other things. There is no fulfillment. There is no joy. There's no happiness in anything I've found. And so, God, I ask you today, make yourself real in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, you died for me. You rose from the dead for me. Jesus, I give you my life this morning. I want this to be the best Christmas I've ever had. And in order for that to happen, I need you in my life. Jesus, I receive you. And I want you to do your will through me from this day on. I receive you now as my Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you receive Jesus this morning as your Savior, would you just put your hand up and put it right back down real quick? Is there anybody? God bless you. Father, thank you. Thank you for that hand. But God, also thank you for those of us who are already believers who have been challenged, and we accept the challenge of recognizing the presence of Jesus in my life, not some time ago, but right now, and what he wants to do through me right now, and what he wants to do in me right now. God, keep me aware of your presence in my life, that I'll always know I'm not alone, but you're with me. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for coming in Bethlehem, giving your life giving your son, Jesus, to die for us. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Guests and visitors, don't forget to pick up your gift and information bag before you leave today. God bless you all.